Welcome to Culture Eats Strategy. Eats Strategy. With your host, entrepreneur Jamie J. Jamie J. On this podcast, we unpack the most powerful, intangible culture. Culture. Culture is way more than a mission statement or words on a wall. It's how a company behaves. It's what informs every decision, action, and reaction. Culture is the invisible hand, the true north that guides every organization. And if you create a legendary culture, you will build a legendary company. A legendary company. Now, here he is, Jamie J. Jamie J. Okay, we're, we're already having fun. Uh, it's Jamie J, Culture Eat Strategy. And as you can tell, I have Tavis Trower on today. Um, how are you, Tavis? I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. Let's go. Uh, I, I'm excited too. I love your, your vibe, your energy. You've already, I haven't stopped having a smile since you stepped on the camera. This is fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to tell, I'm going to say a little bit about your background. Uh, you're a pioneer. You're a pioneer in optimizing corporate cultures. You're heralded in best-selling Megatrends 2010 as corporate mindfulness guru for the new millennium. You've assisted powerful organizations ranging from Disney to Morgan Stanley in optimizing their most precious assets, human beings. I wish you were around uh, at my previous organization. I won't say the name, but it rhymes with Oshiba. Um, It would have been awesome. Um, Like Queen of Sheba? (laughs) (laughs) Um, you've created and facilitated global executive immersions for prestigious organizations including harvard business review events young president's organization pwc bloomberg lp viacom google and the economist on issues including mindfulness executive lifestyle and personal mastery innovation and the role of consciousness in creating radical success and you've been everywhere in forbes fortune business week glamour uh, yoga Journal, CIO, Pink, Real Simple, Martha Stewart. Wow. Yeah, weird, right? Uh, some PR person was just like trying to make, got to get another placement this month. <laughs> 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 trying to burn the retainer. So funny. Yeah, well, yeah. conversation about PR gone bad. <laughs> yeah. You, you, so I'm really, really into this culture thing. And I kind of wanted to dive into this. And, and you were pretty much, let's just go, because I was kind of giving you a little background on you know, why I'm so interested in, in culture and, and, and its relationship to strategy. While strategy is important, culture is definitely, in my opinion, the driving force. Because if you don't take care of the company, you can't take care of the team. And it, if the, you don't take care of the team, they're not going to take care of your clients. And so I'm just a huge fan of it. And I wondered if maybe you can give me kind of, I mean, you've been doing this for 17 years. So I'd love to hear, you know, first of all, what you think of culture and uh, why you stay motivated. Um, to stay focused on helping people uh, improve their culture. Yeah. Um, wow. That's that's a really you could go in a lot of directions with that question, <laughs> Jamie. Um, what I like to say to whoever is willing to ask me the question that you just asked is that culture is conversation. Literally, mm. you don't shape culture through programs and policies, right? You 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 express culture through programs and policies. You don't fix culture through programs and policies. Um, and that that when we think about culture, like I heard your last um, guest, he's hosted, what was his name? He's a guy you're friends with and you do a podcast with. But oh, was, uh, David Schreinerkron. 
Yeah, he was um, talking about um, how culture exists in families and, and two newlyweds get married and boom, they're bringing two different cultures, right? And um, what I think is really interesting about corporate culture um, is, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that c- culture is a word that expresses the rules of the game, right? Mm. The rules of how we're going to interact of what we talk about, what we don't talk about, um, how we stay safe, how we belong, and how we succeed, right? And there's something really tribal and and primordial about it. And I think that is part and parcel of what is being lost in this clamor of, of a lot of smart people with a lot of money saying, oh, great, let's tackle corporate culture now because if we make the right app or the right survey, right, then we're going to be able to monetize the fact that human beings in a collective in general aren't very good at treating each other well, partly because they're not very good at treating themselves very well, right? So there's there's this current gold rush happening of, of great thinkers and the people who say, well, if everything has an app, then there's got to be an app for that, right? Yeah for um, improving culture. And, um, and when I think about it, that's a little bit heartbreaking, right? Mm. Because when you're talking about the messiness of human beings, you're, you're basically suggesting that that messiness is so inconvenient that if we can only streamline it into an identifiable algorithm, that then we can make this problem go away. Right. Um, Instead of seeing it as something to dive into, right? Not to navigate away from through some kind of a technology, self-driving cars, right? But actually to take the wheel and drive into. And that's what I have watched for 17 years is really watching um, this this creative um, tug of war, I think, in our collective psyches around, we know that this is needed, but it scares the crap out of us and so we tend to want to make it go away. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let me. So you're when when you're saying we, are you referring to business leaders or are you referring to the the business leaders with all this money that is trying to create something? God, wouldn't it be great if just people who run businesses were the only people that acted in in. Uh, unproductive ways with respect to human beings. No, I'm afraid this is fairly ubiquitous that, 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 um, we're, we're afraid of our own needs and messiness Mm. unto ourselves. Like, um, your last guest said to hold up the mirror. Right. And I want to ask your audience, when is the last time you really held up a mirror and looked into your own eyes and held it and held it. Right. Mm to really look at what you can see, right? Sure, we all love a horoscope or sure we all love um, some kind of weird top 10 tips thing to how to be a better person. But this notion of actual self-inquiry, who am I and how am I behaving every day is a really uncomfortable thing for all of us. And when you aggregate that, think of the multiplier effect. If that is scary for me unto myself, and then you add in money and you add in uh, tribal fears around safety and survival, right? You add Trust. all that in. It is terrifying mm. for anybody, especially when they are subjected to the optics of being in leadership to dare to operate 
at that level of transparency and insight. It just, it's just not something many of us are taught about and even fewer of us have seen it modeled mm. um, and, and fewer and fewer. So over the 17 years, you asked about the 17 years. I mean, I was only 12 at the time. <laughs> she got an early start yeah yeah i was really smart (laughs) blame it on montessori anyway (laughs) um but 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 what's but what's interesting is that the reality is we're talking about it more Mm. um we're systematizing it we're we're creating um, a corporate infrastructure, an organizational infrastructure too. I, I want to be clear. This is not just corporate America. This is nonprofits. This is political structures. This is anywhere that more than zero human beings are present in the room. This is you alone in the room. Right? Even a solopreneur because culture goes on to clients. Yeah. And culture is a conversation. So culture is how you talk about, talk to yourself as mm. well. Right? Mm. So, so what, what I've observed is that in this gold rush, and it's not just for the gold of the money to be made, the incremental profits that can be made if there's a healthy culture or the profits to be gained if you're a consultant in this space, but the gold of a fabulous human existence that is highly productive and lucrative to everyone involved, right? Um, the, the, the interesting thing about this gold rush is that um, the dirty, nasty, ugly work of rolling up your sleeves and and actually holding oneself accountable for what you are bringing to a culture, right? For what kinds of conversations you are stirring within a culture. The level of fear that exists even amongst hugely empowered, I'm talking the high performers, I'm talking the C-suite, the level of fear that even our leaders are operating with, with respect to culture and what kind of conversations are okay to have is absolutely at the root of any cultural problem in any company. The fish rots from the top. We do not have an employee engagement problem. We have a leadership problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I totally agree with that. One of the, one of the things we we were talking about uh, on a conversation today, I was talking to a couple of buddies and they were having some retention issues. And uh, he goes, I don't know what the, what the heck the deal is. They'll come on for three to six months and then they're gone. And, and I said, with all due respect, <laughs> it's probably you. And they said, but we work. And I said, I, but I, I don't want to, and I didn't, I wouldn't, I didn't want to come off me. And I, I said, you know, I was, I was the same way and I had things like that, but I, I really changed the way that I did things uh, and the, and the process that we initiate, because you're right. It's a, it's a communication gap. You can't come on and just expect somebody to do a deal. Uh, you know, you hire them and just do your job. You said you could do it, just do it. Um, one of my earlier guests, she started an agency and only hired people with 10 plus years in the, in the business. Wow. Within six months, all six of those experienced people were gone. Yeah. She then changed her method and she went to hiring uh, millennials. A lot of them are still here today. She's been in business, I think, 17 or 20, 20, 20 years, something like that. But she, she created systems and processes for them because they didn't know the industry and lo and behold, that's what the experienced people were dying for. Interesting, yeah. I thought that was pretty, pretty wild because yeah. it, it comes down to communication yeah. and what you expect. How in the heck am I going to know what you expect unless you share with me yeah. what it is that you 
you want you want. Yeah. And um, the 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 heartbreaking thing, I think, about a lot of um, cultural efforts I see in even uh, best practice organizations. Right. Ones that that all of us admire is that um, culture is only addressed when it's a problem. Mm. When there's something so painful like attrition or like um, a lot of lawsuits, hashtag me too, hashtag everyone, right? Yeah. Um, like that, that, that we only tend to focus on culture when we are looking at something that we don't want, right? As opposed to how do we um, establish the conversations amongst leaders all the time that are reinforcing the cultural values that we know are going to allow people to thrive here. And they just don't do it. And then when it's brought up as an issue because they can't qualify for great place to work or even worse, they win great place to work because they put all the right policies in place, right? Because basically anyone can do that. If you have enough money, you can put all the right policies and programs in place and have the yoga class and Mm -hmm. right. And get that eventually. Right. But then your actual input from your employees can still be really in the toilet. And so, so when it comes up as a problem and you have to bring it up as a problem, it becomes a confrontation to some of these very leaders that you're still dependent on because they're helping you achieve whatever the metrics are that you have to achieve for your company. Right. So so when you wait for culture to become something we have to fix and the mirror is going to show that the leaders are the problem. It it is always going to show that. Right. It's not going to be because the third manager underneath the fourth director underneath the EVP yeah, right. Is a problem. It's not going to be because of him or her, right? It's going right. to be. A and when you wait until you have to talk to that person because it's a problem, then you have a real problem. Yeah, that, that's what your confrontation you spoke of. Yeah, and that's when you're having to address it as a remedial effort, which is very uncomfortable for everyone and for for a high performer. It's usually unrecoverable from an ego perspective. Mm. People who make it to the C-suite or approximate to the C-suite have, have crafted lives of very curated choices all along the way to get them there. And they've done it because in their culture in their head or in their family's culture, what they got, what they didn't get was this is one way I'm going to be safe in this lifetime is if I hit that title and if I hit that pay grade and I get that spouse and I get that wife, et cetera. And when you have to confront them because they are sabotaging the performance, even though they're working uh, 50 hours, 60 hours a week, right? And mm-hmm. suddenly everything they've worked for to make themselves safe is under threat. Yeah. Not a good outcome. No. So, so proactive, proactive positions around culture, proactive conversations about what is our we, right? There's this whole concept of, of a we space. I don't know if you've ever explored this. But no. Like you and I have created a we space, right? Our we space is, is very much expressed by this conversation, the fun banter we had before we got on. We talked about surfing. You guys listening missed a lot of fun, okay? <laughs> I just want to tell you, you want to hang out with Jamie J. Right? Anyway. Um, so we all create a we space. And if you think back to the meetings 
that you have and you think back to the people that you associate with, you make decisions with, you craft your fate with, basically, each of these, um, these aggregations of human beings result in a we space that has a specific energy and it's got a directional force, right? And when you think about leaving that up to accident until there's a problem, you're basically asking for a problem because mm. we know that human beings are flawed. We know that we lack skill, right? So why would we have at our command the lives of countless employees, the lives of countless customers, right? The lives of countless stakeholders that, that, that are impacted by the organization and leave the impact of our culture up to chance or like laying there until there's a problem. Because by the time there's a problem, chances are you're going to have to fire some people very high up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I wish I could, I wish I could remember who this was, but he said something one day um, that really, uh, really changed my view on communication. So many times, uh, we're a relatively small company, uh, you know, we have 15 on staff internally, uh, so, so we're not big or even medium sized by any means, but there's still communication. And I would think of something and I'd say, oh, you know what? We'd have a Tuesday morning meeting. We should do this. Yeah, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's do this. And all of a sudden, people's face would be like, wait, what? And so it, he, it's like hitting a wall. Instead of saying, thinking about it, say, you know what? I would, I would love to do something like this. What do you think? And plan it out so it's more of a gradual type shift. And that's, that's a wee space. Exactly. Ah. Perfect. Like, yeah. I didn't know there was a name for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what he had created was basically a charade, right? That we're going to get together and have a meeting. That's not a meeting. That's a briefing. Mm. Right. There's yes. a big difference between a meeting and a briefing. Huge difference. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, see, there's a, there's a tough, one of the biggest challenges I had early on was um, making it comfortable for the staff to voice their opinions or vo if, if they were concerned about something, oftentimes they wouldn't let me know out of fear, <laughs> I would imagine amongst several other emotions, but they wouldn't let me know because they didn't want to offend. They didn't want to, and and I, I've tried so hard to build a, a culture to where I'm not micromanaging. You mentioned boundaries earlier. I love this example, uh, a basketball court. You know what? Play your game while you're in that court. Do what it is you do best. They all have job roles and responsibilities. I've gone over it. I reviewed it. I know exactly what you're doing, you know, vice versa. But if you go out of bounds, then at that point, Let's, let's have a little chat about it and see what I can do to help improve that situation. But by all means, you have this whole court. Take it and run with it. Now, if something comes up in a conversation, in a meeting, I would not call it a briefing, in a meeting, I want you to feel comfortable to speak up. Yeah. I mean, um, so you got to realize that... that um, I'd like to use this example of you trying to be the good boss, right? I, I, I don't know anyone who's trying to be a bad boss. I really don't. 
like even the worst bosses out there are really trying to be good, good, good bosses. Right. Um, but there's this, so if we're talking about the Wii space, there's both what you're bringing to that, right. Which is your great intention and your real desire to be a great boss, et cetera. There's, there's all that, but you're also bringing all your blind spots, right. And you're bringing, mm. um, you're bringing all of your gaps and your skill set. You're bringing all the ways that you don't like yourself or that you're not fair to yourself, right? You're bringing all the ways that, um, that you've never learned to express what you think, right? So all of that is present, right? Then you think about this person who works for you and they're dependent on you, not only for a paycheck, but for approval and for belonging, right? And they're bringing all of that as well. And one thing that, that, that has come across again and again and again over the 17 years is if you really want to build a culture of transparent feedback, you have to do it over time and you have to repeat and repeat and repeat over time that it, that people are safe, 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 safe trust, right? The biggest gap on this planet is my sense of safety, your sense of safety. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we build that is repetition. And that means again, that means when it's ugly, that means when it's uncomfortable, that means even when you don't feel that the feedback you're getting is justified, right, et cetera. It means I may not agree, but how do I keep this safe? How do I let people feel heard and feel seen and feel safe? And that is... Like if we could remember that the next time we're in an altercation with someone, oh my god! And no. I, I screw this up all the time, which like why I can talk about it because I've thought about it a lot. Like all the ways in, in which I want to know what's really going on. I want to know what people are really thinking. I want to know all the ways that 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 the culture could be better because I run a team. But, but all the ways in which somehow inadvertently my desire to be right or be superior or to be the CEO or the whatever the hell title you have, right, somehow trumps my desire to have a healthy human relationship with the status. Person. It's crazy. Status. And we let it get in the way all the time. I see it with leaders of every type and stripe. Otherwise, absolutely lovely, amazing, enlightened people. And that little ego monster will crawl up in the back of their head in spite of being practically the Dalai Lama, right? And uh, other moments, right? And it will sabotage our ability to treat others as equals hmm. over a title. Yep. Really? Cause I'm sorry, but, but if my uh, customer service rep is telling me X, Y, or Z, or my driver is telling me X, Y, or Z, that's where the rubber hits the road. You know, uh, you just brought up, triggered a, uh, something that I didn't realize was, I, th- I think, very, very huge. Anthony uh, Wolliver is our COO, and he leads our, our weekly meetings now. Yeah. And one of the things that he's implemented in the meetings, by the way, is super efficient. So they're, they're, they're right on time now. He's amazing. But one of the things that he's done is he asks everybody for their weekly um, uh, challenges and, and something personal that, that's you know, been great for them. But I think where, where it really comes is what did, what decision did they make last week that they regularly wouldn't have made without gaining my approval? And he has them talk okay. about it 
I think it's brilliant. It's lovely. Yeah, that's that's amazing. We just did this um, emotional well-being um, kind of focus group for this company that's a household brand, super sexy, and they're um, admired and respected and, you, you know, do surveys about um, how engaged people are and how proud they are to work there. And, and yet when people are asked if they would recommend working there to, to friends or loved ones, the answer is no. By like yeah. 72%. Yeah. Yeah. 72% say absolutely not. I don't want my friends and loved ones to work here. Um, and a big piece of it was, was the concentration of decision-making in the C-suite. You have no ability to influence your destiny. You have no ability to practice what makes us a human being, which is the power of discretionary rationale. Mm. You can exercise that at work. You might as well be a- um, Why are you there? Yeah. So, so I, I really want to applaud. That's such a great example of fostering as part of the culture. Like this is something we want you to do. And if you make the wrong decision, then we'll unpack why. So That's exactly what he said. Right. So, so <laughs> that the next time you're in the moment of making a choice, you have a little bit more information yeah. to be empowered to make the right choice. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. That, I think that's, you, you nailed it when you said a lot of people say behavior uh, is essence of culture. Um, but I'm torn. Is it, It's probably a combination of both, but I, I think communication is probably a little more. Uh, well, look, what Gandhi said, um, the definition of success is when your thoughts, your words, and your actions align. Right. Hmm. Um, but, but, but the whole point is, so, so if your thoughts are really crappy, <laughs> like I'm a CEO, how come I wasn't consulted, right? <laughs> so when, when your thoughts are crappy and your actions are crappy and your words are crappy, so I think there's some nuances to what Gandhi meant. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to need you to come in on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've got a really important PowerPoint. How about those TPS reports? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I wonder, um, uh, as, as we get closer to this, I do want to respect your time. Um, but as we get closer to wrapping, I wonder if maybe you can share with us where people might go to find you to learn more about you and how you might be able to help them out. Okay, so you can check me out at, uh, at balanceintegration.com. And... Um, it's it's our corporate website and if you pop into our blog um i post periodically i post these cute little four minute mind clarifying things called the c-suite sessions and they're they're normally an audio and they are for people to pull their heads out of the nether regions and um to function more skillfully um because all of us are dealing with a lot of curveballs and even though we can probably quote Gandhi. It doesn't mean that we're always following his wisdom. So that's one way to find me um, on Twitter. I'm corporate Yogi and you can find me on LinkedIn and I barely Insta. I, I would tell you to Insta, but I'm like, I don't know. I'd probably take way too many pictures of my dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I like how you called the about us page, our humans. Oh uh, yeah. Because right. I mean, that's so cool. 
and we're pretty human. Like we're pretty, um, people, people, um, sometimes who, who have worked for us, like one of our former, my like beloved employee who was with me for forever. Um, she left to go to Microsoft. I mean, I couldn't compete with Microsoft. I'm sorry. (laughs) She's still, she's like, I want to come back to the team meeting. I swear you can. I would absolutely love to sit in on a team meeting. You that, would, that would be a They're fun good. experience. They're good. They're good. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, um, is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, your time here today or anything that's, you know, maybe a good takeaway that uh, someone can resonate and, or, or just kind of hang on to and, and, uh, massage a little bit and see if, if that's something that will help them out. You know, um, what's really amazing to me is like, you'll, you'll go to a big, you know, brouhaha with a bunch of leaders and you pay a ton of money to be there and you're off in some hotel and, um, you go through this entire process and, and at the end of the three days, two days day, right. It's like, Oh, it's all about passion and purpose. It's all about meaning. Right. And the, the, then the, so everyone's kind of high on that moment for a second. I'm talking, um, I've been in them with generals from the army war college, right. I'm CEOs you name it. I mean, across the table kind of leaders. And so there's this moment where everyone really gets it and all of us are operating from our highest wisdom. Right. And then it's, it's always a matter of time that the other shoe drops and people go, how do I, work this way like how do I go back to my team and make them be like this and what's interesting is um like even though it's so hard for people to to really work in such a way that they're asking their team to make the decisions etc um the guy from the army war college told me he's like we've been working on this for decades We've been trying to institute a culture in which people on the ground are not waiting for people back in some remote location that can't possibly have as much spidey sense, much less data, right, to make the decisions. And and you just have to think about it. Like, so why would, yeah, it just all kind of comes together as this is a ubiquitous reality. This is not just in corporate America or... Um, in your household or in yours and my tiny companies. This is, this is a question for anyone who's working with other human beings, really. How do I leverage the power of purpose, the power of passion, the power of discernment? I love that. It, it's what I said to one of our clients yesterday. Um, we had a really tough conversation about um, some of the findings in a study that we did. And, um, she said to me, she's like, it's just so disheartening that after four years of really focusing all of the, on all of this, um, I just feel like I'm seeing that leadership isn't as committed as they say they are. And um, I think anyone who's listening to this podcast by virtue of what you call it and just how cool and playful you are um, may have moments where, where they feel they're their sails are full of wind and they're moving forward and, and there's a sense of optimism. And then there's a sense sometimes of, right. It's still still not fixed. So-and-so is still making people feel horrible about them. So right. You you know, all those things. It's the top of the hills never coming. Yeah. And 
I think that that's actually the nature of being human. I think that's the nature. Like there's, there's a reason that Prometheus has to relight the fire. There's, there's, there's a reason that Sisyphus is always rolling the rock up the hill. Right. And that is that, that this is our work. It's not about perfection and completion. Right. So patience and persistence, the, uh, the Bhagavad Gita says it perfectly. You know, it's not about running off to a cave where everything's perfect. It's about staying in this world and working to make it as beautiful as it can be. Yeah, I think it, I, I love that. And thank you for sharing that. Because if you don't go through the valleys or continue pushing the boulders up the hills, how can you possibly appreciate a day and a time when it comes to actually stand up there and you know, smile and, and appreciate where you're, where you're at. I, I agree. Totally human. Especially right now with um, just, it's 2019, it's March and the world is not an easy place. And I think that if we lose heart, right, if we lose our commitment to our vision and to a sense of, of goodness, right, this is not the time to lose faith. It's time to double down. Put all my cards in. All my cards, all my cards. I'm in. I'm all in. Get me. (laughs) Well, anything else you'd like to say before you wrap? Thank you. (laughs) You're so welcome, Tavis. This was amazing. I appreciate the the way you deliver your message. It's just so, it's it's powerful, but it's just so kind. And I I appreciate that. It's just comforting uh, listening to your wisdom. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm just, it's, it's so nice to talk about this stuff. Um, and know that, that, that it's not about, um, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. So progress, not perfection is actually one of my favorite mottos. And the other one, here's a question I love to ask myself. Okay. Okay. And any moment I'm moving into something, I like to ask myself, what is my greatest good? Right. And it's such a powerful hitting the pause. What is my greatest good in this moment? And I've shared this with people I've coached clients who are um, influencing huge cultures of tens of thousands for you to ask yourself that simple question. What is my greatest good? It's really humbling. That is. I'm going to have to think about that for a while because nothing pops into that. <laughs> and when you open the refrigerator and you're looking at the Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Oh, my gosh. Well, I can't thank you enough, Tavis. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Yeah, this is exciting. Go check out balanceintegration.com. Learn all about what uh, Tevis has going on there. Um, it's, it's, it's all about communication and um what is your greatest good, man? That's a good one. What a great way to, to wrap up the episode. Um, thanks again, Tevis. I appreciate you coming in. High five, high five. <laughs> well, my name is Jamie J. I am the host of Culture Eats Strategy. And uh, it's been another great episode. Um, seriously, I'll put everything in the, in the show notes. Go check out balanceintegration.com. Uh, see what Tevis is up to. Um, there's tons of cool stuff there and go check out the blog that that's uh, really interesting. And then, uh, yeah, ponder away. Uh, what is your greatest good? Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great one.